Thom and I'm a first year commerce student and today we'll be reading from Romans 14 verse 1 to Romans 15 verse 13. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear the failings with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so 
so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, good news. WA has lifted some of its coronavirus restrictions and now groups of 10 people, appropriately socially distanced, of course, are now allowed to meet together. And you're naturally excited by that. So you invite a bunch of your Christian friends over to your place for dinner and a movie. Of course, your friends are all super keen because they've been stuck in isolation as well. And so they come around and it's great to see everyone and everyone's stoked to be there with each other. You settle down on the couches and you make the suggestion that, hey, maybe we could boost the local economy by getting Thai from the local Thai place down the road. Fred says, hey, is that the Thai place that has the gold statue of the Buddha out the front? And you say, yeah, yeah, that's the one. He says, ah, I'm not sure I feel totally comfortable with eating from a place like that. What do you do? You're trying to make a decision about what movie to watch and you've been dead keen to watch The Irishman on Netflix because you're a huge Martin Scorsese fan and you've heard it's a great movie. But when you suggest it, Jane says, um, what rating does it have? You look it up and you say, oh, it's an MA. Jane says, oh, my parents don't really let me watch anything that's more than M. What do you do? Then your sister walks in and she says, hey, mum and dad have left a couple of bottles of wine in the fridge and they said that we could uh, have some if we wanted. Does anyone want a glass of wine? Everyone's keen. I mean, you're all over 18. No one's going to get drunk. But then you look across at John because you know that John's family doesn't drink and neither does he. And you can see that he's kind of wrestling with this because, well, he doesn't want to be the odd one out, but he's not 100% sure that it's the right thing for him to do either. What do you do? Well, we're not the first generation of Christians to have differences of conscience. The same thing was happening in the Church of Rome when Paul wrote to them a few decades after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You can see it there in the first verse of Romans chapter 14. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. The arguments are going on over what Paul calls disputable matters. Not arguments over commands or clear implications of the gospel, but literally opinions. And we see the particular issue facing the Roman church there in verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. 
Now this is not a sort of modern day vegan versus carnivore battle, uh, nor I think is it the same issue that comes up in 1 Corinthians about whether it's okay to eat meat from pagan temples. Paul makes no mention of idols here in Romans uh, chapter 14, but if you flip over to chapter 15 and verses 7 to 13, you'll see that he ends this passage by urging Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church to accept each other. So I think what's probably going on is that Christians from a Jewish background are feeling very uncomfortable about eating meat in Rome because they're not sure that it's kosher. That is, they're not sure it's been slaughtered in the way approved of in the Old Testament, with all the blood drained out of it. If you're living in a pagan city in Rome, how can you be sure that that's happened? So maybe it's just safer to avoid meat altogether. Sure, you don't win friends with salad, but you can't go wrong with it either, can you? But then the Christians from a Gentile background, and maybe some from a Jewish background, like Paul too, well, they have no problem with eating any kind of meat. After all, as Jesus said, it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean, that just goes into their stomach and out of their body. It's what comes out of our hearts that makes us unclean. Same with holy days in verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. See, if you're a Christian from a Jewish background, you're very used to keeping the Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles and even the weekly Sabbath. And to not do that, well, you're not sure about it. Other Christians can rightly say that God made all the days of the week, that those feasts and Sabbaths have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, in the rest that we have in him. But if you come from a Jewish background, well, not keeping those holy days might feel a little bit wrong, like you're dishonouring God. Or drinking wine, which comes up in chapter 14, verse 21. Some Christians have seen alcohol wreak terrible havoc amongst their friends and families, and they feel very uncomfortable with the idea of drinking. Others say, no way, God gave us wine, Jesus drank wine, the Bible's very positive about wine, provided that it's enjoyed in moderation. Another person says, yeah, I know, I, I know all that. I'm just not sure it's the right thing to do. And Paul calls these two groups the strong and the weak. The strong, they have a robust conscience. They know that they're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. And therefore, anything that's not contrary to the gospel, it's theirs to enjoy. But others have a weak conscience. Now, they agree that we're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. They're not legalists. They're not saying you've got to keep the Old Testament law to be saved. They just have doubts about certain things because their consciences aren't fully formed. They're not well instructed and they're uncertain and easily led astray. Now, the obvious temptation is for the meat-eating, Sabbath-ignoring wine drinkers to look down on the weak. You know, they haven't embraced the full freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And then for the kosher-keeping, Sabbath-observing teetotalers to judge the strong for doing things that they feel uncomfortable with. Now, it's not a million miles away from us, is it? See, are you okay with Christians watching MA movies or not? What about drinking alcohol? 
Would a light beer be okay? What about spirits? Would you be okay with going to a nightclub? At what length of skirt or top have you stopped dishonouring Jesus? Do you keep Lent? Do you avoid eating red meat on Good Friday out of respect for Jesus and his death? Do you think that Easter eggs are thinly veiled paganism? Are you cool with baptising infants? Or are you profoundly uncomfortable with anything other than the full immersion of an adult believer? Whatever it is, in verse 1, Paul says, accept each other without quarrelling over disputable matters. See, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. But how come? Why not? I mean, judging people seems a fairly natural kind of human thing to do. Well, firstly, Paul says, because these are disputable matters. They're matters of opinion rather than salvation issues. Now, clearly you can't be involved in pagan sacrifices. You can't say that Jesus is Lord and then at the same time be off at a pagan temple worshipping a pagan deity. But that's not the issue. The issue here is, can you eat meat when you're not sure if it's kosher? And secondly, you can't judge each other because you are not the other person's spiritual boss. God is. And if God has accepted them, verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master servants stand or fall, and they will stand because the Lord is able to make them stand. See, are people acceptable to God only if they hold to all the same opinions as you? Of course not. They're acceptable to God because the Lord Jesus died for them. They've put their trust in him. He's raised them to life by the power of his Holy Spirit. If they're living with him as their Lord, then what's the problem? Does Jesus say you have to eat meat? No. Does he say you must not eat unclean meat? No. So don't insist that people do things their master doesn't care about. If someone is trusting in Jesus, seeking to obey him as their Lord, does it really matter how much water they were baptised with? Or whether they drink alcohol or not? Or whether they pay their help debt off as soon as they can? Or just do whatever the government says? Sure, they'll have to give an account of their behaviour. But not to you. To their master. To the Lord. So don't judge each other over disputable matters. But Paul's insistence that we don't judge each other over disputable matters doesn't, think, doesn't mean he thinks we should have no opinion about them. On the contrary, in the second half of verse 5, he says that each of us should be fully convinced in our own minds. You think, well, hang on a minute, Paul. How can that possibly be? How can you say, on the one hand, that these are disputable matters and then insist that we be fully convinced about them in our own minds? Well, firstly... We need to be fully convinced in our own minds because in all these areas, you just can't avoid making decisions. When all your friends are over for a movie night, you can't simultaneously watch The Irishman and not watch The Irishman. You've got to do one or the other. You can't simultaneously baptise your child and wait for them to be an adult before you baptise them. You've got to choose. And if you don't choose, 
you've still chosen. And secondly, we need to be convinced in our own minds because we ought to be acting out of a settled desire to please the Lord. See it there in verses 6 to 8? Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You might decide that drinking alcohol is something entirely appropriate for you as a Christian. You don't get drunk, you're grateful to God for it, it's a great way to socialise with your friends. Or you might decide that it's not a good idea for you to drink alcohol. You're not convinced that alcohol would help you to act in a way that honours God. Well, pick one, says Paul. Don't flip and flop. Think it through and come to a settled conclusion about how you can best please the Lord Jesus. But, and this is critical, this is why you can have Christians engaging in completely opposite, mutually exclusive behaviours. Eating meat, not eating meat, drinking alcohol, not drinking alcohol, keeping special days or not keeping them. And yet both behaviours be totally okay, because God's given no command about them, and you're both driven by the same motivation, wanting to please Jesus. You can sit down with a beer and your friend can refuse a beer and insist on drinking lemonade. And you both have the same gratitude in your heart to the Lord. You can be totally okay with infant baptism while your friend has profound misgivings about it. And yet both be motivated by living for the Lord. He is our boss and only he is able to judge our motives rightly. So, verse 10, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. It's God we stand before. It's God who judges us, not each other. But Paul's only just scratched the surface here, because if life and death are about serving the Lord, and we have freedom when it comes to disputable matters, there's a much more profound principle to apply than simply don't judge others. See it there in verse 13? Paul says literally, let us stop passing judgment. Instead, make a judgment not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Don't judge each other. Judge how you can help each other. In the following verses, Paul's particularly talking to the strong. And it's interesting that when it comes to eating meat, he wholeheartedly agrees with them. Verse 14, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Christ, by his death, has made uh, us all clean. And in doing so, he's fulfilled the Old Testament laws about clean and unclean, so they're no longer relevant. Jesus himself, as I mentioned before, says in Mark chapter 7 that it's what comes out of our hearts that makes us unclean, not what goes into our stomachs. So, says Paul, the strong, you strong guys, you are absolutely 100% right. All food is clean. 
It's all good with God. But here's the critical thing. Here's the thing you haven't realised. Second half of verse 14. If anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. You think, but what does that mean, Paul? Is it unclean or isn't it? Does God approve of it or doesn't he? It can't be both at the same time, can it? Well, actually, says Paul, yeah, it can. <laughs> See, as Paul's already said, all food is clean in and of itself. God made the meat, and if you receive it with thanksgiving, he's delighted that you enjoy it. But what if you haven't quite realised that? What if, because of your Jewish upbringing, you feel very uncomfortable with the idea of eating meat that the Old Testament forbids? If you have this nagging doubt that it's not the right thing to do, and you do it anyway, what have you done? Well, you've done something that you thought God didn't want you to do. And that is not something that God is delighted about. So at your movie night, you're totally free to eat the pad thai from the Buddhist restaurant, to watch the Irishman, to enjoy a glass of wine, to the glory of God. But if in doing those things which you know are okay, you encourage your friend who feels profoundly uncomfortable with them to do the same, well, that is a disaster. Whether your friend is right or wrong about the pad thai is irrelevant. Remember, motives matter. And by pushing them to do what you know is okay, you've actually pushed them to do something that in their mind dishonours the Lord Jesus. See, God's been at work in this person. He's been shaping their conscience to make them want to please Jesus. But you've undone all that work by pushing them to ignore their conscience and to please you. Instead of encouraging their walk with the Lord, you've put a stumbling block in their way by, insist by insisting on something that you know is good. You've actually done something profoundly evil. You were totally right about the pad thai, the movie, and the glass of wine, and you still totally suck. See it there in verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. See, verse 17 is key, isn't it? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And the strong say, Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's right, Paul. So we're free to eat the pad thai and drink the glass of wine and watch the Irishman. And Paul says, well, hang on a minute. If the kingdom of God isn't about those things, then aren't you equally free to get a pizza and drink Coke and watch The Little Mermaid? And if in doing those things you actually promote righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit with your brother or sister, your weaker brother or sister, why not do that? So verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and a mutual edification. If you've got a choice between two options that are equally acceptable to God, then choose the one that is going to build up your brothers and sisters rather than tearing them down. 
Verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Save the pad thai and the wine for a night in with the family. Get a pizza and coke instead. Watch The Irishman with friends who are okay with it, instead of tripping up a fellow Christian over something as trivial as the choice of a movie. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Yes, you're free in Christ, but in your approval of what's good, the pad thai, the glass of wine, the movie, don't end up condemning yourself by failing to love your neighbour. You're free in Christ, but the one who has doubts that what they're doing honours God is condemned because what they're doing is not coming from faith, and everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. See, motives matter, and if you push your friend to do something that doesn't come from faith in the Lord Jesus, you're actually pushing them to rebel against him. You're free in Christ, so use your freedom to love your brothers and sisters instead of causing them to stumble. As Paul says in chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. See, what is strength for? Why did God make you strong if you're strong? Well, it's not so that you could impose your will on the weak. It was so that you could help them in their weakness. It was so you can carry their burdens, so that you can build them up. If God has made you strong, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, or as in the case of this chapter, strong in conscience, he has made you that way, not so you can please yourself, but so you can please your neighbour, because that's what pleases God. After all, that's what Christ did for us, isn't it? Have a look at chapter 15, verse 3, where Paul quotes Psalm 69. Rather than using his strength to please himself out of love for God and for us, Christ was willing to appear weak to let people's insults towards God fall on him at the cross, so that God's house, that's us, might be built up. Go and have a read of Psalm 69 and think it through in the light of the way Paul applies it. Because he says this is what Psalm 69 is about. Like all scripture, it points us towards Christ and all that he has done. It teaches us endurance and it encourages us to persevere in the same attitude that Jesus showed, pleasing God and our neighbour, rather than simply pleasing ourselves. See, this is all part of what Paul started back in chapter 12, verse 1, of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is how we think in the light of the gospel. This is how we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. If we get that, if we start to think properly about things in the light of the gospel, if we share Christ's attitude, 
then Paul's prayer in verses 5 and 6 will be answered, won't it? That even though we might have all sorts of different opinions and disagree over all kinds of issues, we will still glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. And that'll be a beautiful thing. Amen.